just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries, and potentially disastrous diagnoses. This week's episode is brought to you in collaboration with the New Zealand International Comedy Festival that's happening right now in Auckland and Wellington. I sat down with award-winning comedian Yardviga Green to chat about comedy and mental health, including her diagnosis of anxiety, depression and dyspraxia. In this episode, Yarvika talks about that big old week where she started performing stand-up after being discharged from a psychiatric hospital, the thought process that goes into performing material about mental health, all about her diagnoses, and we get an inside look at her upcoming comedy festival show titled Cardigan Farge. As always, you can find all of the important info in the show notes and head to comedyfestival.co.nz to buy your tickets today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Yadviga, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and the That's So Chronic listeners today. I know that it's the New Zealand International Comedy Festival on at the moment, so comedians across the country are extremely busy. So thank you. No worries. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Your Auckland season is about to begin. And actually, by the time this interview comes out, your three shows in Auckland will have been done and your Wellington season is just beginning. How are you feeling about all of this? (laughs) I, I feel excited, nervous. I have had moments of panic, but I do feel like things are as under control as they can be. Amazing. Is this your first comedy festival? Yeah, yeah. I was I was in the comedy festival. Uh, I did some sort of lineup shows in 2019, mm-hmm. and I was going to do a solo show, but it got cancelled due to health reasons. Yep. I couldn't go ahead with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm back and I'm determined to you know stick it through and do it now you aren't just any comedian you are also an award-winning comedian you (laughs) won raw comedy quest in 2020 congratulations thank you thank you and you also have a long history of anxiety and depression and also a diagnosis of dyspraxia which we're going to chat about a little bit later in the episode but to start I'm really interested in what inspired you to do stand-up comedy because Mm. on the event listing for your upcoming comedy festival show called Cardigan Farge it says the show chronicles Yadviga's experience of entering the stand-up comedy scene the same week she was discharged from a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> that sounds like one heck of a week. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. My um, stand-up I, comedy. Yeah, I, I guess um, I've been told by people, you know, um, a lot. I'm just, you know, like a lot of stand-up comedians, people would say to me, you know, oh, you know, we find you really funny. You should give this a go. We think that you'd 
enjoy it a lot. And I've been told that so many times. And I love stand-up comedy myself. I've watched it for years and years and years. And I guess I'd been scared of it entering it for like two reasons. One is that it's a very personal medium. Like Mm -hmm. it's just you on stage talking directly to the audience, you know. It's different to other types of theatre that I've done in the past where the dynamic or action is between two people on stage. It's between you and the audience, and that's very vulnerable, I felt. Yeah. Yeah. I was also quite scared of entering it because, you know, people like me, LGBTQIA people and people with mental illnesses and disabilities are so frequently the butt of the joke in stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. that I was just like, is there a place for me? Even if I wanted to do it, is there a place for me in stand-up comedy? Um, And then eventually I just gave it a go because I had people telling me, enough you know that that I I should give it a try and then I just I fell in love with it when we talked previously before this interview you mentioned that a lot of your stand-up material does talk about mental health and especially after this week just being discharged from the psychiatric hospital I'm wondering you know how do you find the funny yeah that's cool I guess I've always had humor as a coping mechanism, like a lot of yeah. a lot of people, I think. Uh, there's something that my family is very good at, is that sort of black humor and humor and, you know, difficult situations. So it just kind of came naturally to me, I think, you yeah. know, just to, to joke to myself, even if it was just to myself, you know, about what I was going through um, mm-hmm. as a way of, of coping. And that sort of made things more easy and bearable. And so that was just... A, a natural thing for me to to look at funny situations that happen in hospital you know it's it's sort of like I don't know how to describe it but uh, there's this sort of phenomenon where sometimes really really tense difficult situations just breed an interesting kind of comedy you know like mm-hmm. it's it's not uncommon for people to you know even laugh at a at a, at a funeral or something like that you know not you know about the, yeah, not <laughs> the about funeral the itself, but funeral, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, like for funny things to happen, and it's just sort of relieves the tension. You know, like you know, if someone like fell into a grave, it's like, oh my gosh, how <laughs> how is this happening? But, yeah. <laughs> and then people sort of laugh at, as a visceral kind of reaction. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and I think it's a similar but less intense, you know, uh, sort of thing with being in a psychiatric ward. If something silly happens in a psych ward, you kind of laugh to relieve the tension because you're like, well, <laughs> you're at rock bottom, you know. You, you're, ne- you're never admitted to a psychiatric ward usually because you're in a, you know, a, a great chipper place. So, yeah. yeah. Is there a fine line, like you said, of not being the butt of the joke in the way that, if it is self-deprecating humor, you still don't necessarily want yourself to be the butt of the joke all the time and yeah. people to think that that's okay to make yeah. jokes about this. Is there, how do you navigate that fine line yeah. of yeah, just like finding the funny? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the way that I try to describe it when I talk to people about this sort of thing is I, I like laughing at the absurdity of a situation rather than laughing at the target of trauma if that makes sense yes you know that makes total sense yeah I I definitely get that yeah yeah so like you know an example that I have is uh I I joke about getting bottles thrown at me because I'm obviously queer 
And um, that's a sad thing that there's, yeah. I don't find that funny. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but what I do find funny is that there are people who feel so desperately insecure about themselves that they feel the need to act up or act hostile towards someone else just for living their life and not hurting anyone. And I kind of, I laugh at them and, you know, rather than laughing at myself for being, you know, the victim of something like that. I think it's similar with mental health. Yeah. That kind of thing. That makes total sense because I've got MS and there are so many situations that I just find really funny. Like if I up some stairs yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how is this possible and you worded that so perfectly because yeah I'm not laughing at myself for having this condition that means that you know my legs aren't working properly and I've fallen over I'm laughing at the fact that like a person has literally fallen up yeah. a flight of stairs yeah. like how does that even happen yeah 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 exactly <laughs> yeah it's that kind of thing is it's just you know there's so much like natural comedy that happens in life and then it just becomes an art of learning how to tell those stories you know creatively and engagingly I think. Have you had quite positive feedback whenever you've done your stand-up that perhaps other people that might have anxiety and depression as well do they ever come up to you and say like oh thank you so much because that's really helped me. Yeah yeah that is honestly one of the biggest joys for me in doing stand-up comedy is when someone comes up to you after a show and doesn't just say, you know, hey, that was really funny and I liked it, but also like something in that like spoke to me, it felt nice to be seen or visible and, you know, have something addressed in a way that is hopefully, you know, healthy and not demeaning. That just fills me with joy. I feel so good when that happens. And, you know, it happened at a show last night. I had um, a person come up to me afterwards and, and just say, you know, I have, so much anxiety and when you you know like address anxiety in your comedy and you acknowledge the fact that you're a nervous kind of shaky comedian that felt good you know um and that that just made my night you know that's a fantastic thing because you are being quite vulnerable by sharing these stories in your comedy is there a fine line of not sharing too much or just being too vulnerable on stage. Yeah. I've never done stand-up, so I don't really know how it all works. But, yeah, when you're writing the jokes, do you have to take any considerations into what might actually happen? Definitely. I I find that the big thing for me is I look at um, who a joke might impact. And if it's just impacting me and my own personal sense of vulnerability, that's something that I can negotiate a little bit easier. But if I tell a joke that is about my mental health, but somehow implicates, say, my family, then that makes me think, okay, that's a joke that I don't want to tell. That's a joke that's maybe better just to share with, you know, close friends Mm -hmm. and family and that sort of thing. Um, I think that's probably where I draw the line is that I appreciate that, you know, my family have not signed up to be, you know, artists and and sharing their stories. And and so I, I just keep those sorts of two intimate uh, stories a little bit more private. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the jokes that you were writing back when you first started, even that first week after being discharged? Did you talk about what had just happened that week? Yeah, I I did. I sort of, I I talked about it quite um, flippantly, I think. (laughs) I I just sort of said, you know, like, 
I got on stage and and the first thing I said is, look, I'm going to be real honest. I'm having a real hard time right now. I just got discharged from the psychiatric ward. Uh, I'm finally beginning to feel a little bit better now that I've started seeing a psychiatrist. I just wish I wasn't the only one who could see her. Um, and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, wow. And... And just sort of said it. And then I got off stage and I had comedians come up to me and say, is that true? Were you actually <laughs> just in, in the psych ward? And I kind of didn't click at first because, you know, a lot of comedians like to, you know, just make up stories and say, oh, so I was at the bar the other day and, then, yeah. you know, this woman came up to me and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, so I didn't click at first that like, oh, yeah, actually these other comedians were thinking that I was, you know, just telling a funny joke and then when I admitted no I was in the psych ward they were like oh my gosh are you okay you know yeah. how are you doing and yeah yeah wow what a feeling that must have been <laughs> did you have like this real rush of adrenaline yeah yeah definitely it was it helped that that very first gig was actually a very memorably positive gig mm -hmm. um it went it went well so I I feel like that was you know, a lot of first gigs don't often go well. A lot of first gigs can be quite rough. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was, you know, um, I think my uh, uh, adrenaline was, uh, you know, added to by the fact that it was actually like, you know, yeah. I, I did okay. Yeah. And and then I walked off feeling like that was a, a rush in so many different ways. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, when did you first start to know that what you were experiencing was anxiety and depression? Probably around when I was maybe 11. Okay, yeah. Um, it was, you know, reasonably young. I'd always been like a, a, a kind of shy and awkward kid before then, but I don't think it was really anxiety or depression as such. But uh, when I was around 11, I had a very, very close friend leave the country okay. uh, shout out to Becky, um, yeah. hey, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that was uh, quite difficult for me because I, I wasn't you know it took me a, 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 a it took a lot for me to open up and feel close to other people yeah. and so the fact that I had found someone that I just headed off with you know spectacularly it was sad to be away from that person mm -hmm. and so then things got noticeably worse it got harder to go to school where I felt very alone yeah. and very afraid of being around so many other people and that's when it kind of clicked like uh okay this is actually I became aware of other students and the fact that they weren't finding just going to school as hard as I was yeah you know yeah. yeah and that can be so confronting and I think a lot of the time when things like this happen at such a young age a lot of it gets shrugged off like oh it's just kids being kids or everyone yeah. feels like this or yeah that's normal it's just growing up you'll get yeah. there yeah. when did you start to have a few more conversations and did you see a counselor or did mm. you go on any medications as a young person yeah i can't remember about medications i was really resistant to wanting to see a counselor because i know that at 
that time in school, if kids would still get bullied for seeing the counselor. I don't know how it is now, but you know, like yeah. if you if you had to go see a counselor and you were, weren't in class, like everyone knew where you were if you were on like the school grounds and yeah. you weren't in class, people were like, oh, they've gone to see the counselor, and then you would get bullied for it. It was yeah. so I was really like. I don't want to see a counsellor, not because I was afraid of the counsellor, but mm-hmm. because I was afraid of the other students' reactions to, yeah. you know, to that. But I was, the, the first thing for me is I was admitted to Princess Margaret's Hospital in Christchurch in Ōtutahi. Yeah. And that uh, there's a, a youth psychiatric facility at Princess Margaret's, and that's where I went when I was around 11 or 12. And you do talk a little bit about this in your upcoming show, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Wow. And so when I was reading and researching a little bit more about you, because I try to do as much research as possible, I noticed that the basement theatre where your show is going to be in Auckland, they shared a post promoting your show. And you described your show as big gay energy for one which I'm so excited I really wish that I was in Auckland or Wellington so that I could come and see it you'll have to bring it back to Christchurch so I can watch again but also in that same post it said as soon as she pops a clonazepam and stops shaking you can bet she'll be on stage inviscerating the status quo politely with love and kindness which (laughs) I loved but of course that made me think are you taking anxiety medication are you taking clonazepam is that how you pronounce it yeah yeah that's right yeah I do I I take a, a bunch of different things as well as um I'm trans and I take, you know, hormone medication, mm-hmm. uh, hormone replacement therapy. And I I do take clonazepam's oh, that's my favorite. I take that <laughs> as a as a PRN uh, medication just if I'm feeling a bit anxious. Um okay. it's it's yeah, uh, it works famously. <laughs> it's very good. I was reading that the effects can come as soon as an hour after taking it and then can last for eight hours do you think that that would be true for you yeah yeah I don't know if it lasts that long for me but it definitely helps me get through like a a big show or something like that yeah definitely take it if I'm anticipating something to be a little stressful and anxiety inducing I will take it I find it quite helpful yeah I don't know it's funny like I've talked to other people about this and I've had friends say to me I didn't even know that was a thing why aren't I taking it it sounds (laughs) sounds fantastic you know yeah it got me thinking as well whether you had any sort of rituals or accommodations that you do specifically before you go and perform a gig or your show in terms of how you can protect yourself a little bit on stage whether because you know being so like you said it's just you and the audience and for a lot of people that would be quite anxiety inducing yeah even just the thought of doing that and I was wondering yeah if you had any tips or tricks on how to manage this yeah you know that's interesting because it's definitely changed I've only been doing stand-up for three years but when I started it's so common in stand-up comedy for people to just have a drink when they perform to bring the drink on stage it's always performed in a club or a bar yeah or a you know a licensed theater or something like that there's always alcohol Mm -hmm. and I think that uh, it's definitely bred some dangerous habits among some other comedians um, with substance abuse issues 
So it's a tricky thing. So I, I used to do that. I used to just, you know, have a drink and, you know, mm-hmm. not get sloshed, but, you know, just yeah. get a bit merry. Uh, yeah. And and it would sort of give you, what's that, what's that term? The uh, something Dutch courage? courage? Yes. Yeah. Dutch courage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It gave me a little bit of that to, to perform. Now I just practice. That's my biggest thing yeah. is I, a lot of, comedians have different ways of doing things some people just like to show up on the night and just be like okay what do I feel like doing right wow but me I plan it quite in advance and that can be a hindrance in some ways because it does sort of uh it's it's a bit more rigid than what a lot of other comedians like to do a lot of other comedians are more sort of loose and free with their comedy and that's a real strength that they have but for me I I like planning things and that gives me a good sense of, you know, where I'm going and what I want to do on that night. And that really helps ease the anxiety. And because nerves and anxiety really go hand in hand, don't they? The audience at stand-up shows like to just throw things out, don't they? They really (laughs) feel empowered. Yes, Yes. yeah. (laughs) Especially if they've had some Dutch courage in there as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they do. It throws me, to be quite honest. I I don't know always what to do. And I think that's because I struggle with social anxiety anyway. You know, like Mm -hmm. even just, you know, meeting a a stranger and having a conversation on the street can potentially make me feel a little anxious. So to be standing on stage where you can't necessarily even see the audience because of the lights and, and then someone starts yelling things at you, I I get really thrown. It's a skill that I'm still building to be able to respond to little quips and things like that. So, yeah. In terms of the comedy industry as a whole, whether we're thinking New Zealand or just in general, I know that a lot of businesses and organizations like corporate places are getting really into trying to help their employees mental health and there's Mm -hmm. tools available and comedy is just so different right because it's not like there's someone in HR that is like employing all of these comedians around the country and you've got someone who's your boss essentially yeah yeah but I'm wondering if there is are, are these conversations happening in the community of tools that we can do to help protect our brains yeah that's a great one i i don't know enough about this myself i think it's one of those things that is it really unfortunately comes up when a tragedy strikes like i remember when robin williams died then the conversation became so much bigger about Mm -hmm. comedians and mental health that how can like you know one of the funniest people on the planet (laughs) you know have a mental illness and to the lay person that might have been quite shocking and surprising but to stand-up comedians they were like well you know we've known this for a while maybe we should be having better conversations about this yeah so I think it is happening more now than it has in the past Mm -hmm. definitely yeah I just think it's a bit of a shame that it's taken such sad things to sort of spur that on but it definitely is people are getting better at addressing the well-being of comedians in all sorts of ways. Like the biggest thing that comes into mind is I think it was established last year, a working group in New Zealand to address sexual harassment and abuse within stand-up comedy in New yeah. Zealand. And I think that's bloody fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, so important that there are such powerful women doing this hard mahi to uh, make it better for other comedians. And so I feel immensely grateful for 
for that working group and for other comedians doing that sort of work. So there is stuff happening around the well-being for comedians. It is so hard. And like you say, I totally agree. It's just we shouldn't be helping manage the problem once it's gotten too bad. Yeah. We really need to be addressing it now and then hopefully moving forward, things can start to be a bit better. Yeah, yeah. You also mentioned to me that you do have a diagnosis of dyspraxia. Yeah, I do. When did you get that diagnosis? So that would have been when I was about seven or eight, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I, I remember like usually on the weekends and sometimes, you know, I would leave school early and so I was like, oh, this is cool. I get to leave school early and I would yeah. go to see... <laughs> I would go to see an occupational therapist and do all sorts of different exercises and tests and things like that. And they were usually more fun than like, you know, schoolwork. (laughs) (laughs) um, I didn't mind at all. And then I just sort of forgot about it. And it was around when I was about, when I was going through exams in high school that my my folks were like we should see if we can get you like a a writer to help you because I I struggle with fine motor skills yeah and that made me sort of stop and think oh yeah I (laughs) I totally forgot about all that but that would be great and yeah so yeah it's been it's been a journey it hasn't sort of happened all at one moment but it would have the you know it started definitely when I was a child around seven or eight and has sort of evolved throughout my life. I was reading that dyspraxia can be really inconsistent as well. Like sometimes it could really be affecting you and then other times it might not be as much. As you've moved through and you've become an adult, do you still notice fine motor skill things, challenges happening? Yeah, definitely. Fine motor skills and balance I've always found not impossible, just perhaps more difficult than what someone without dyspraxia might experience yeah and there are different things that you can do to sort of help that like I've got a personal trainer at the moment and we do a lot of work with balance which is really cool so it sort of helps me just improve what is a a more difficult thing for me but yeah I like I I'm in a creative writing school at the moment and I always bring my laptop with me because if I try to use a pen my hand will cramp up like an like less than half an hour or something yeah. will be too sore. And do you still do any specific exercises for this? I, obviously, you have the personal trainer. Is there like knowledge around dyspraxia that people can go, here, try and do this, and then things will be better? Does that exist? There are some things. Yeah, definitely. I was taught by like a, a physiotherapist different hand exercises that okay, I can yeah. do that will help with. And I so I still do those today mm-hmm. to help with fine motor skills if my hands cramp up. I've had RSI in the past from too much computer use, which is sort of like, you know, I have to use a computer. Yeah. So it kind of sucks. <laughs> but yeah, there are different things that you can do to sort of make stuff easier. I think another thing that's important is I... I'm sort of new to this, but I like the understanding of different neurodivergent conditions as not being necessarily a disability, but as being a different way of viewing the world. And I find that sort of framework has been kind of revolutionary for me. It's not something that I considered growing up, you know? I I just sort of thought, oh, I'm disabled. That's just something I'll have to live with. And But now I kind of view it differently. And and that's been... It's eased the burden for sure. Yeah. And like you said before, not the butt of the joke anymore either, which is 
Fantastic. Yeah. So your show, Cardigan Farge, tell us about that. Where yeah. did the inspiration come from? What are we going to be chatting about in the show? Yeah. Without giving too much away, of course, because sure. people will have to buy a ticket to come and watch <laughs> it themselves. <laughs> so that's, that is a big thing, is not being the butt of the joke so much. That's really uh, quite important to me. I think it's about really challenging uh, existing power structures within comedy and, and where the jokes sort of come from and who they're targeted against is is part of what inspired me to do it. I That's one of the reasons why I put off getting into comedy for such a long time was just because I was, you know, kind of scared. I'd heard horror stories from other comedians that I admire. People like Abby Howells have been through some pretty uh, shocking experiences and so I thought gosh I I don't want to get into this and I have found a lot of welcome in stand-up comedy and I'm so grateful for that but I I want to address the fact that it's not always been easy and yeah you know and that and address the the issues that are still in stand-up comedy and try just take an hour to sort of reflect on that it's also an opportunity for me to talk about other things that are really important to me like sex and gender um you know lgbtqia issues rainbow community is just so valuable to me yeah and so i want to talk about different communities that i belong in but yeah i think at the core of it is probably addressing inequalities faced by people who live on the margins of mental health, gender, and mm-hmm. sexuality. Those are, yeah. that's the big thing. All while being extremely funny at the same yeah. time, which is a is a skill because people listening might be like, how do you make that funny? <laughs> <laughs> it's so important. Yeah, yeah. But that's why you are so good at what you do, you know? Hey, thank you. It doesn't take long to scroll social media and see so many comedians in New Zealand spreading the love and sharing how much they enjoy your comedy. Do you find that by making a show like this, is New Zealand supporting your style of comedy as opposed to, yeah, I guess the straight cis white man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Supporting it so much more than I would have you know thought possible i think i i worried a lot and you know perhaps even maybe not too much because there is still inequality in comedy but i did worry a lot about it yeah before entering it and i am just overwhelmed at, at the fact that there are places for people like me and that i've met other people like me i've met other yeah. like gender diverse comedians as well has been just a, a wonderful thing to get to encounter. I feel so good. And to hear other comedians talk about, have frank conversations about their mental health and still be friggin' hilarious. Yes. It's, like I just um, went and saw really Maria Williams's show called Anxiety the Musical. Yeah. And going in, I was a little bit like anxiety for a whole hour. Like, how, <laughs> what are we going to do here? Like, what has she got up her sleeve? And I know her. She's a great friend of mine. So I was like, it's going to be hilarious. But how is she going to do this? And oh my God, she delivered. Yes. It was so great to just see a person be so fully themselves on stage and just be chatting about having a counselor and the conversations that they have and finding the funny in that. And everyone needs to go and see Maria's show, but I don't think it's actually going to Wellington and you've missed out now because she closed. (laughs) She sold out last night. 
But but she got people to put in issues on a piece of paper, uh, and then she was like reading out the issues. Yeah. And one of the issues was like I'm studying or or like something about doing another university degree. And Maria's like, I've got four degrees. That's what we do when we have anxiety. We keep studying. <laughs> Ah, so good. And it was so great. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I see so much of myself in that where I'm like, want to make a podcast? Sure, let's go do that now instead of all these other things that I <laughs> thought I was going to do with my life. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so good. So where is your show playing? Auckland and Wellington? Yeah, it's at uh, Basement Theatre in, uh, in Auckland and it starts on the 13th, 14th and 15th of May. And then it's at Bats Theatre in Wellington, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st and 22nd of May. Yay. And of course, you can get your tickets for Jadwiga's show over on comedyfestival.co.nz. But to make it even easier, I'm going to put the link to the direct link in the show notes of this podcast. So go and have a look there. And also over on social media, we will be sharing this from the rooftops. If people want to follow you, Jadwiga, is there anywhere that you would like to direct the people to? Yeah, Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Jadwiga Babelska but that's very tricky to spell. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, so it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. That's that's great. Yeah, I won't spell it out. But yeah, Facebook or Instagram will be fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and talking about comedy with us all today. I really appreciate your time and I'm so excited to see you perform one day. Yeah, thank you so much. I love the comedy festival, so make sure if you're in Wellington or Auckland, you make the most of it and head along to see some shows for the final week. You still have a chance to see Jadwiga perform in Wellington at Bats Theatre. The link to buy tickets is in the show notes or head to comedyfestival.co.nz. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. Sometimes hosting a podcast feels like talking into thin air, so I love hearing from you all. You can find me at That's So Chronic on Instagram. If you haven't already subscribed on Apple Podcasts or pressed follow on Spotify, make sure you do that right now so you never miss an episode. And a review is always super helpful to reach as many ears as possible to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope. Go and see some shows for me!